conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York, the Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm also pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping those who serve the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in their ministry. And uh, this is a special live edition coming to you from Alumni Chapel on Southern's campus. Let's hear that. Hey, great to have you. And it is a great delight to have one of my absolute favorite preachers, one of my favorite people, uh, Alistair Begg, pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, radio Bible teacher on uh, Truth for Life. Welcome. Glad Thank you. you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, uh, you've got a funny accent. <laughs> so do you. <laughs> uh, tell us where you're from. Well, I was born in Glasgow, Scotland, and uh, lived there for uh, the greater part of my life until I came to America, and then I've lived longer now in America than I lived back in the UK. You came to the U.S. in 1983. 83. Yep. As Pastor Parkside. Yeah, I came at the invitation of that church. They had, I think, exhausted invitations to people in America that knew where Cleveland was and they thought, well, maybe we'll try somebody who doesn't know where it is. Maybe he'll come. And uh, so... How many people were there then? Six. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> we got the same six. Um, uh, they, were, they were probably, on a, on a Sunday, there were probably about 400 people there. Yeah. And uh, it's grown quite a bit since then. Yeah, not... not and meteorically, but it's it's been consistent, steady, and uh, so now probably on Sundays our congregation is uh, ten times what that was. Yeah. You have one service. Three services in the morning, and then I have an evening service as well, which is different from the morning services. So, how many times a week do you prepare a, a sermon? Um, well, if just in just. In those terms two? of Parkside, yeah. I would have those two, unless I'm doing something like coming coming here. Yeah. Uh, when you go somewhere and preach, do you typically preach something you've preached before? Yeah, well, often I do. I, I um, Sometimes out of necessity, and sometimes because uh, I've been asked to do that, and, and sometimes because it's just what's uppermost in my thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, this evening, I haven't preached that before. What you preached tonight yes. here at Southern? No, I haven't preached, preached that before, and uh, which is which was probably pretty obvious. <laughs> no, <laughs> it thought, needs a little more practice. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was fantastic your sermon on First Thessalonians four, mm -hmm. uh, really outstanding. I, I I don't mean to just flatter you, but I will tell you when people ask me who's your favorite preacher, most often it's your name that I say. Yeah. I love to hear you preach. Well, you know, it's interesting. People ask me, they say, you know, who's your favorite, you know, professor at a seminary? It's usually your name, I yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get asked that a lot, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, when, in, in your 36 years at Parkside, uh, what's the takeaway? What have you learned about pastoring uh, specifically there or in general? Anything you want to share? Well, 
Well, you know, the idea that uh, it, it just, it, I think it's somebody like Tiliki or something like that who says, you know, that the pulpit draws the, the preacher the way the sea draws the sailor. That mm-hmm. sense of being, a sense of call that creates its own pool, its own urgency. Right. And that uh, every, every time you, you have completed it, you know, on a Sunday evening, you just breathe for a brief time, and then you've got a clean sheet of paper and another series of verses, which is both the demand of it and also the wonder of it. I think I would say that, you know, at this point, after 36 years, I, I'm not uh, in any sense jaded. I don't feel like I have got a handle on it to the extent that, you know, this is what I do. Um, it still presses me to my knees, it still uh, reveals to me, you know, just how desperately uh, the preacher is in need of uh, divine enablement. Mm-hmm. You know, people hear our voices, but we want for them to hear God's voice. Uh, you're, are you an advocate of long-term pastorage? Do you think that's the, the <laughs> ideal? Well, I mean, it's what you've done. Do you think yeah. it's what well, everybody should do? Well, you know, I think, you know, if somebody had said to me in 83 that, uh, in 2019, you'll, you'll still be there. I think I would probably have disavowed that, and I probably would have recoiled from it. At this vantage point, I would never have changed anything, because there are peculiar benefits to uh, being in a place over a long haul. Uh, in, in some senses, you know, marrying the, the children of the children that right. you married, um, seeing the the ebb and flow of life, uh, staying uh, somewhere over the long haul. With that being said, though, not everybody has had the privilege of a congregation such as mine, nor does everybody have the same aspirations. And and I don't think the the secret lies in uh, longevity or in brevity, but, you know, just being in the place of God's appointing. Some people, I think, are very, very good at starting things up and launching them, and, and moving on, they might not have the same uh, dogged capacity just right. to stay with it. That's a good observation. What, was there a year in which you'd say, man, things turned? Like, yeah. I, I would say for me, it was like after about year seven. I yeah. think it took seven years. Was there a year like that for you? Well, you know, when I came in 83, I assumed that the things that they had told me, they understood and believed they understood them and believed them. <laughs> that was foolish. <laughs> that, <of you>. was, yeah. <laughs> that was a big mistake. And um, I, so I decided that I wouldn't uh, go home uh, to the UK for at least three years because I was frightened that if I went home, I might never come back. I'd seen some of my friends do that. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. and so as an act of discipline, you know, I stayed that out. But when I went home, I, I realized that um, the connection was not actually there between the pulpit and the pew, not in the way that I had envisaged. You know, I was pulling the rope pretty strong, but the bell wasn't ringing. And during that summer at home, I realized that's because the bell is not attached to the rope in terms of what I said about a theological understanding that was, that was verbalized but not understood. And so in year four, then I realized I've got to start at a, at a more fundamental level with an understanding of what this is and what the church is and what it's not and so on. 
And then that went for probably another four years. And then I would say right around year seven as well. Then it was actually at year seven, I reached the point where I thought I've probably done about as much as I can do here. I, I, I've, I've run out of all my ideas. And uh, that was a real turning point as well there. Good stuff started happening then. Well, I, what I did was I said to the people, I think I've shot my wad. I, 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 and one of my elders said, no, I, I don't think you have. He said, I think you're lazy. And, uh, and I said, well, okay. I said, but I don't think I'm lazy. I think I'm incompetent. <laughs> and uh, so he says, well, then you're going to have to prove that you're incompetent. And so I did. And uh, at that point, uh, we looked for somebody in the congregation who could staff my incapacities, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Instead of moving me on to some other place or allowing me to continue with my own level of incompetency. And uh, that was when a fellow who was an elder in our church uh, felt God moving him in that direction and he came to become the director of ministry in the church and brought all the gifts and graces that I don't have to the equation which allowed him to thrive the pastoral team to develop and deepen, and for me to be able to do right. what, what I was able to do. Uh, yeah, I think if I have any genius at all, and pro I probably don't, but it, the closest thing to it is that I know how to put people around me. Sure. To, yeah. you know, staff to my weaknesses. And yeah. People whom I trust and who do those things so that I can do what I do. I agree. It makes all the difference in the world. And, and it's the difference between swimming upstream and, and yeah. you know, going with the being in the current where it carries you. Yeah, and it also acknowledges in a, in a realistic way the fact that all of us are better together than any one of us is on our own. What year did Truth For Life begin? Uh, I, um, maybe 99 or something like that, yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about that ministry, what it does. Well. <clears throat> Now it goes all over the place, especially, you know, with the development of this kind of thing and the internet. Initially, um, initially we were invited to go on the radio. I, I wouldn't cross the street to hear myself preach. I mean, I, 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 leave, I leave pastoral ministry on Sunday evenings regularly. Um, so <laughs> the idea of that was alien to me. And that came about as a result of uh, actually Moody Bible Institute initially. And they put us on three radio stations. On a, on a weekly basis. I think we got about one letter in two years proving that somebody was listening. And uh, it didn't seem to do anything at all. And then, then a man asked the question, why is this not on a, on a daily basis? And the answer for that was similar to the initial answer, well, why would we do that? When we did that, then it began to build some traction. And as a result of that, it's just developed from there. And, uh, it's given us an amazing reach throughout uh, the country. I mean, we're on every major, in every major market in the country. And then, you know, on Sirius and, and all those other things. And then the internet, it's, it's, uh, it's just an extension of the pulpit, though. That's all it is. I mean, I yeah, don't do right. anything. As long as, as long as I stay true to my calling, then other people make that happen. And if they, if they stop making it happen tomorrow, then there would be a few people disappointed, but it, but it wouldn't make one iota of difference to my life as the pastor of a local church. I, I understand. Uh, hey, my wife and I, like James Taylor, 
Mm -hmm. So we've heard him in concert like at least 30 times. Wow. Uh, wow. First time I heard him, I was 15, Pine Knob, outside of Detroit, oh, New yeah, York. Oh, yeah, I've been to Pine Knob. Yeah. I saw the carpenters there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's edgy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these guys didn't even know who the carpenters were. No, they've gone like... Well, yeah, like, well, uh, they may not know who James Taylor is. Yeah, yeah. He's now 71 years old, yep. still selling out stadiums. You have a James Taylor story. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the time you met James Taylor, yeah. how it happened, and what uh, you said to him. Well, it was, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of James Taylor and, and Paul Simon, probably, uh, in terms of lyrics and style. But um, uh, Sue and I were, were heading uh, to uh, Hawaii, and we were in the airport in Los Angeles. And we were in the United Club. And uh, a man and a woman walked into the club. And as they walked past me, I realized that's James Taylor. And uh, he didn't come back, but the lady that he was with came back. Turned out she was his manager in the, on the West Coast. And so I said to her, today's my wife's 50th birthday. And, and if you get James to sign a card for her, I won't tell everyone in the club that he's here <laughs> because, because, because he was he was incognito. He had a hat on and he was yeah. he, he was not interested in getting up. So she, she said, okay, and she went away. And she came back and James came beside her and ignored me entirely and said to Sue, so I guess you must be the birthday girl. And she said yes, and he took a chair and he turned it around and he stood half sat on the, on the back of the chair and engaged her in conversation for the longest time and was immensely humble and phenomenally kind. So much so that we got a call from the front desk that said, if there is a bag or tailor party in the room, you better get out of here because you're both going to miss your flights. Oh, really? But that was the level of engagement with the guy that he was, he was uh, and I talked to him about uh, uh, how he went to an Anglican boarding school. I talked to him about the influence of hymns in the, in the structure of his yeah. songwriting. And we talked about Scottish folk music. And all, I mean, it was, it, and, and eventually he went in his pocket and he wrote his telephone number on his card and he gave it to me. He says, you know, my wife plays with the Boston Symphony. Right, and right. She'll come yeah. to Cleveland sometime and then maybe we can get together again. And we, we met him one more time when he came in to play at Cleveland, but I, I didn't want to bug him beyond that, so. Uh, man, that's, that's an incredible, uh, incredible story. It was the humility of the guy that was most striking. Yeah, he he, he definitely seems that way. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I could talk about his lyrics and uh, all that all night long. So that, that's one of my favorite things. Uh, the other thing, a lot of people, especially these guys, young guys, don't know about. You were in a movie. Oh come on! Oh man, I got to talk about. It. Uh, I see it on the Golf Channel yeah. all the time. The Bobby Jones movie. Yeah. Now, how did it happen? Ah. <laughs> it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> if anyone's seen it, they know. Um, I mean, the long and the short of it is, you know, I met a guy who was a producer on this movie, this golf movie, and they ran into a problem with a Scottish actor who had shot one of the scenes in St. Andrews, and he, he couldn't contractually get into the States on the day they needed and this fellow phoned me up and said, listen, I'm begging on you. I mean, could you, could you do this? I said, I've never been in a school play. How could I do this? He says, don't worry. It's easy. You can do it. I know you can do it. And so I, went, I came here to Atlanta. And, uh, and the rest, you know, as they say, is history. It's, 
is, <laughs> is don't go looking for it, fellas. It's, it, you'll find it in like uh, Home Depot in the, next to the disused hammer section. Or, or the Golf Channel plays it all the time. They <laughs> yeah. play it like oh, the royalties week. are rolling in. Yeah, I, I bet yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Oh, it was great. I, it scared the pajamas out of me initially, but it introduced me into, uh, it, it took me into, a, you know, an unreached people's group. I mean, the guys that were uh, doing yeah. all the continuity and stuff, most of them were homosexual. And, uh, and I have never been in, in that kind of situation where I have to, you know, engage mm. and, uh, and, and everything. And I said to Sue in the course of two weeks on the movie set, I said, you know, if the average church extended the kind of welcome to total strangers that this group of people have extended to you and me, man, we would set the place on fire. I mean, it, it, that, was the, that was, I think, the most striking thing to me, how genuinely decent everybody was. Uh, well, I think you did great in, in it. <laughs> you and Susan married in 1975? 75, yeah. How many children do you have? We have three children. A son who's as yet unmarried, two married daughters, two son-in-laws, seven grandchildren. Seven grandchildren. How's that? It's fantastic. Isn't it I, no, it's just so good. I, I could weep thinking about my grandchildren. Yeah, well, I, I do. I mean, yeah, and, I, and you know what I, I find the hardest? I don't know about you. Sometimes I lie in my bed at night and project, and then I realize I won't be here for that. And it just—it's the pain of—it's uh, the pain of the earthly pilgrimage. Yeah. That, and even the prospect of eternity, actually, is insufficient for me to act as an anodyne in that moment. Yeah, I'm not that dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, uh, my daughters-in-law and my sons will send us pictures, you know. Yeah. Especially lying yeah. in bed at night. We're yeah. pulling them up. Yeah. And, and, you know, they each have their, per we have five. Yep. They each have their personality. What ages are they? Uh, the oldest is nine. Same for and me. And the youngest one is like 19 months now, uh -huh. I think. And, uh, you know, uh, two boys and uh, three girls. And, man, I just... Uh, we, I, we raised sons, my two sons, right. who are both in ministry. And uh, so the boys can't get away with anything with me. But the girls can do anything they want. They mm -hmm. totally wrap me around their fingers. and yeah. you know, it's just, What do they call you? Papa. Yeah, me too. That's what uh, Dr. Muller gets called too, you know. It does. It's a magical sound, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. Papa. Yeah. Boy, I'm done. Yeah. When I yeah. Hear. It's horrible. I drove to school yesterday morning and... Uh, Maybe it was this morning. I can't remember now. Is that one of the last two days? No, I think it was this morning. <laughs> yeah, it goes But, uh, but uh, you know, they, they had to go. Papa, we need to leave early. Why? You've got to go to the gas station and buy Mentos. You know? <laughs> yeah. And those you did it. Yeah, those Mentos cost a buck eighty-nine a packet, you know. Do you know how hard that is for a Scotsman? <laughs> <laughs> but for your grandchildren, you'll yeah. do it. Can you share? No. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, talk about your, you and Susan. Uh, how has she been supportive in oh, your ministry? She, well, you know, I think I don't say it enough to her, and I, and I don't make a fuss about it in public, but you know uh, in your own life uh, for sure there is no me without her. Mm. I mean, there is no, there is no, 
um, pastoral ministry apart from I, I lose count in a day of how many times she says, have you been in touch with so-and-so? Did you do this? Have you done that? What about her? That kind of thing. So she acts almost as a, as a second conscience to me in one sense. And, um, you know, just that prayerful sense of companionship, of the genuine friendship that is, that is built into it. I mean, I, I stole from uh, Abigail Adams the phrase, my dearest friend, you know, when she wrote to John Adams. Right. So she just wrote MDF. And I, when I watched that, I said, oh, that's good. I like MDF. And so that's it. And I hear people say that. And, and, uh, and uh, I used to think, oh, it sounds a little cliched. But no, no, she's, she's crucial. I understand. What, what, uh, what do you do to keep your relationship connected? Uh, well-regulated domestic affection is one, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm with uh, you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we, uh, we, we read together, we pray together, we go places together. I mean, people say, so what do you do? And I say, nothing. You know, they say, well, you can't be nothing. Right. So, yeah, oh, yeah, we're great at nothing. Because, you know, where you're in, where, you know, isn't it great when, you, when you're with somebody and you don't have to say anything? Yeah. And you do, you're just there. And, uh, and the, the, so that sense of, uh, like, uh, oh, to yeah. quote Phil Collins, two hearts living yeah. in just one life. Yeah. All right. My, my oldest son just died that you quoted Phil Collins. He, oh, really? He hates Phil hates Collins. Him. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, We'll cut that part. Uh, I, out. I was going to be a little more biblical and just say it's one flesh. There you go. I mean, it is just one flesh. Yes, it is. Uh, a personal question: Do you go to bed together at the same time at night? Try to. Yeah. But last night I had to go out because my daughter was staying. I think I went out three times and said, "Honey, could you please come to bed because you wake me up after I get into my cruise zone, and that really ticks me off." And, and, I, and I have to go to Louisville tomorrow, please, you know. The, the fact is, I'm a really, mo I'm a big morning guy. Uh -huh. She's a nighttime person. Uh -huh. So we have to effect compromises. Right. Are there things you do for her on a regular basis, like anything that you do to serve her, minister her, or is it pretty much one-sided the other way? No, well, if you asked her that, she might say, I don't know. I think one of the, I've actually heard people ask another question, and she said, he writes me notes. And uh, I, I am a note writer, you know, and I, I have a philosophy that if I have something bad that I need to convey to you, I'm not going to write it down and give it to you. I'm going to say it so that we can deal with it in a sort of existential moment and be done with it. But if I've got something good I want to say to you, I'm going to write it down. So I can keep it. So, well, you can keep it, or at least I, I have, I've ex expended myself in that way. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get her coffee in the morning before she does me. I, uh, goodness, I take the bins down for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, when, like you mentioned going to Hawaii. When you go on vacation, do you guys just do nothing? Yeah. Yeah, so we tried to go place. I was speaking at a conference. That was why we're actually that Hawaii thing. I was again speaking in a church called the Hawaii Kai Church in Honolulu. Do you go to Oahu? Ah, yes. Okay. That was that was where we were. Yeah, we we go to the Big Island. Yeah, we were there 
when the, you got the the missile warning came. Oh, really? We had it on our phone. Take cover, inbound missile. This is, is not a drill. Never came. We were there. Yeah, no, uh, we were there, and I said, "Darling, just enough time." What a way to well go. regulated. Or, yeah. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> you said, "Where's my Charles Bridges book?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what are you preaching right now? What are you preaching through? First Samuel. Uh, I preached Reformation Sunday as a good Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> People don't know if it's a joke or not, no, but anyway, they, uh, they, 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 they know. Uh, yeah, I, I deliberately did that because I've actually been, I've been out of the pulpit for, I think, a month, of, a month of Sundays. And since it was Reformation Sunday, it gave me a chance to uh, speak, speak about grace and faith and Jesus. And every so often, I think it's timely for our congregation to have a, a very sort of overtly evangelistic address and mm -hmm. calling people to, to faith in Christ. Now, uh, this Sunday, I'll go back to 1 Samuel and uh, chapter 16. When, uh, when you preach like an evangelistic sermon like that, how do you invite people to come to Christ? What, what uh, method do you use in your church to give yeah. them a way to respond? Yeah, I, I, the answer is not the same every time. I will sometimes, um, I'll sometimes say that uh, you may find yourself at this point saying, well, I don't know what I do here. And, and perhaps you think there is a certain thing or way that you have to do what you have to do. Um, I said, I, I, I'm just gonna pray now a prayer that would allow you to pray along with me in your heart. And so I would use that. Routinely, Sunday by Sunday, I would say that we have here copies of the Gospel of John and this and that and the next thing. We also have through the doors to your left and my right, a prayer room where uh, we would love to have you come and talk and pray and follow through. If you find yourself saying, I, I, there's something I need to do about this. Um, and so that would be largely the way we do it. We'd, we have only very seldom have I done a sort of standard um, Southern Baptist altar call and I've, anytime I've done it, I haven't done it in the moment, but I've done it out of a sense of obedience because against the run of play, it's been pressed upon me, you know, like on a Tuesday when it's raining, mm -hmm. like out of the blue. And on each occasion that that has happened, a significant number of people actually profess faith in Christ. And that, maybe that would argue for doing it every Sunday. I don't know, but I don't. Uh, what's... Uh What's been your favorite sermon series? Do you have one you look back through and say, man, I loved preaching that? Well, you know, interestingly, someone was just speaking to me now about Joseph and the series that we did on Joseph, which gave us the book, The Hand of God. Um, I, think, I think I've enjoyed those. I think I've enjoyed Old Testament narrative as much as anything because it's, it's pressed me. I don't find it necessarily easy to handle. And so in order to do it, it's been demanding, and then it's been a discovery. For, for ages, I couldn't preach the book of Ruth. I, I couldn't get a handle on how you get from, from this little story to, to Jesus. I heard other people do it, but when I tried to do it, I couldn't get there. And then one day, I finally figured it out. The same in terms of Esther, uh, the, the, the book of Esther, that I launched into with some trepidation and before long, I was caught up in the whole narrative again. Um, it's a bit like it's a bit like when people say, "What's your favorite book?" It's usually the book that I'm just reading. Yeah, right. 
I, I understand that. You know, the, that's an incredible feeling when that handle does come to you. So, yeah. Ah, that's the right. door opens. That's right. Light comes in. Yeah. Oh, I, I see this. I unfolded. see it. Yeah. So, uh, are you philosophically as a preacher, where like when you're preaching through First Samuel, that that every sermon must relate to Christ? In, in every time you preach, you're going to get there. Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that. Um, since the Bible is a book about salvation, and since Jesus came to bring salvation, then it would be strange if, if the focal point of it doesn't get us there at some point. Sometimes we get to Jesus because of his absence in a passage, um, and, and he, he's the part that's missing. Um, but in terms of like uh, Saul, you know, it, it's crying out that people are going, well, who is this guy? They're looking for a king that's better than this king. And their, their story is in chaos apart from a king that will do this. And it's not difficult then to move from there to, uh, you know, ultimately the king to which all of this points. Or, But yeah. not, you don't necessarily say you see that in the text. That's a, that's a homiletical move you make. Yes, yes. Yeah, different yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, what... What preachers do you listen to or, mm. or have you that yeah. have shaped you? I mean, going back to your youth. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the preacher, I had the privilege of hearing Lloyd-Jones preach, you know, when I was a younger man. And that was an, an event like nothing else. Um, it was peculiar that, that this man uh, did what he did in the way that he did and with such profound impact, you know, little, little Welsh men. Uh, John Stott, I loved as well yeah. because of the clarity and there were no histrionics in Stott. He's not dependent on any on any style or anything. I mean, his style is like no style. Yeah. It's like yeah. watching paint dry in some ways. I mean, when he gets excited, it's like, I'm excited. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, oh, thanks for letting me know. Yeah. Um, uh, Dick Lucas, another Anglican. Yeah. Um, Eric Alexander in Scotland. James S. Stewart, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, these are all British guys. In America, uh, John MacArthur, uh, especially in the early days, I thought, golly, this guy, he's relentless, you know. I don't know what else, but he, he's certainly not going to do anything other than say this is what it says. And, right. and I, I really respected him for that. Um, uh, Tim Keller, I've enjoyed listening to but he's beyond me, I can't do what he does, right. you know, so I don't feel jealous of him. I'm only jealous of people that I might even be able to make a stab at it, <laughs> you know, but when people, so I can't be jealous of Stott or Lloyd-Jones, or I, I'm not, actually, I'm not really that jealous. I'm a little jealous of you and that tie. Oh, well, yeah. I, I'll let you have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, do you have any books on preaching that you think all preachers should read? Well, Preaching and Preachers, you Lord know, Jones. by Lord Jones, yeah. Um, Charles Bridges on the Christian ministry, I think. Um, Stott's book on preaching between two worlds, uh -huh. as it was in the UK edition, at least, or I can't remember what they call it. Between they call, two worlds. Do they call it here? Mm -hmm. um, oh, I, James Stewart's stuff, with his lectures uh, at the Yale Divinity School in 52, 
In fact, any of that stuff by James S. Stewart, not for the same reasons as these other guys, but for somebody who just had capacity in, in language and was, was able to lead you along, not only logically, but lyrically and, and wonderfully, yeah. you know. Yeah. Do you remember the first sermon you preached? Um, I remember I, at college where you got one shot at uh, doing morning chapel in the three years that you were there. What college was this? This was at London Bible College or okay. London School of Theology, as they call it now, kind uh -huh. of taking it up market. Um, but uh, I've preached on Habakkuk 3, though the fig tree will not flourish and there's yeah. no fruit on the vine. That's a great text. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. It's a, that was about a six-minute sermon. I think the first one I preached in America when I was still just 20 or something at an evening service in a church, I preached from... Philippians 4. Yeah. Uh, how, do, how do you pray as you prepare? Is there a, a, a like, methodology to it, yeah. or is it just sort of... Real short. Help! <laughs> 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 I mean, that's what I was saying when we after dinner, and I went yeah. up the stairs. I mean, that was pretty well it. You know, I didn't... There wasn't a lot going on. Just, Lord, you know, I got about seven minutes here. Help. Um, preach, yeah, I mean, praying, praying in prospect of the preparation, praying during in the preparation, praying, you know, this is, it's like Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of Christ, right. you know. I talk out loud in I my study. I, I talk out loud in my car. Lord, I'm going here. I don't know whether my motives are good or bad. And if I said they were good and you know they're bad, then I couldn't fool you anyway. So let's just be clear about that, you know? And the Lord's going, well, I am clear about that. So, yeah. so, so that uh, is really, that's, that, that is it. Do you discuss your sermons with Susan? Very little. Uh, I'm frightened to. How about afterward? Do you, like on Sunday at lunch, yeah. she give, do you talk about it? No, no, we don't. I mean, in the Are early... Are you afraid of what she'd say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, she, she, will say to, she will say to me routinely, honey, I don't know how you do this. And I'm assuming that that's positive. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, Sue, Sue uh, says more by her silence than she does by her words. Uh, how, how do you think about sermon delivery. I, I think we might have some differences here. Yeah. Uh, tell me what you, what do you, how do you think about the way a sermon should be delivered or not? Yeah. Are you, are you largely unselfconscious about that? Yes. You, so you don't even, like, all right, like I right. just watched you preach. Right. And uh, there was a, some illustration there you were using you were about you and, uh, and a friend uh, on an escalator. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he, yeah, he said, some Look scantily at clad yeah, yeah. And I mannequins said, oh. or something. And, yeah. All right. And when you did that, right. all right, it was just perfect. I mean, it was just spot on. Yeah. I think it's a function of your personality. Right. But what about the guy who doesn't have that good of a personality? Yeah. Or that he's just not, he's not effective. 
Right. And by, by the way, that's a large number of preachers. I know I've been teaching, preaching sure. here for almost 23 years. Should, uh, should a guy be free to like practice in front of the mirror? Or how do you think about that? What do you think? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, in terms of just um, learning communication skills yeah. in uh, like uh, being helped by our wives or whatever. So Sue say to me, say, hey, you're getting that tone again. And, and, and then I say, oh, I, bad? She said, yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> and what, and what she, it's like when you get to, nah, 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 nah. it's a bit like Steve Lawson, right? And I love Steve, but he's got that, he's got that, hey, hey, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a weed eater or something, you know? And I, and I, and I want to say, Steve, you got to drop it down, man. You got to, because it has to he be. He gave me that pen, yeah. by the way. He yeah, that. he did. <laughs> yeah. Never gave me a pen. That's no, probably no, right. wonder. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> no, but I say that because I see my own sins best in other people. Yeah. Right? Right. So, right. so I, I need to work on that. And, and so I have, I have, I have volume, um, loud, quiet, pace, Fast, right. slow, right. pitch, high, low, tone, tone. And tone is, is, yeah. it's, it's, in, it's intangible, but it's crucial. Oh, because right. the, per, the people are listening going, the first question, is this guy for real or is he blowing smoke? Um, is, he, is he more concerned about how he's coming across than whether I understand his message? Is he want to make people understand that he's actually clever? Or is he concerned that I would understand who Christ is? All of those questions are out there in the mind of the listener. Right. We can't be preoccupied with them necessarily in the moment, but we do have to think them out in preparation. That's right. And, and so we got to come to it then on our knees. And, and you know, I always, I, I always say to my, when I, like to Dan, who's here with me, I say to Dan, hey, Dan, you go preach, be yourself and forget yourself. Be yourself and forget yourself. And it's the forget yourself part that is the thing. So that illustration, I didn't have that in my notes. I, I decided in, in that moment, it just in thinking about it, maybe this would be helpful here because it, it actually, it, it contextualizes the thing in, in a real world moment. And then my own response to it, I surprised myself by that. Because, yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, because I, was, great. I wasn't going to do that. But here's the thing. Stoddy would never have done that. Stott would never He wouldn't done. need to. No. He doesn't right. need to. Because, see, and my guys who preach, like I have another Dan in the church, and he was an engineer. At, he went to Duke and did engineering. So his progression of thought is linear. It's, it's, it's like an engineer coming through. There's, there's nothing particularly dramatic. There's no big highs. There's no dreadful lows. It's just a steady, gradual movement onto you. And man, I envy that because my approach is, is, is artistic rather than, than um, linear. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm going around in. It's a painting, not, not yeah, a Yeah, I'm going around in circles. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going half the time. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I can't say it enough. I, I love to hear you preach, I love to watch you preach. Uh, <laughs> You, you, you just have a genuineness 
and a rea a, a reality about you that I think the Lord uses, and I I love uh, watching you. I appreciate your um, encouragement, especially coming from the the professor of pastoral theology and preaching. Well, you're you're. I wish model. I'd been in your class. Well, uh, you don't need to be in my class. I'm I sit in yours. Yeah. All right. I like to end every Pastor Well podcast with what I call the twinkling of an eye round. I'm just going to ask you okay. rapid fire questions. You just you're, whatever you want to answer. All right. Your favorite vacation spot? Italy. Uh, your favorite secular author? Oh, at the moment, Robert Harris. Do you own any pets? Any pets? <laughs> lots of pens. Pets? Pets? Oh. <laughs> Oh, I thought you said pens. No, I do own lots of pens. Uh, at the moment, we have one cat. One, one died. Uh, all right. Um, would you be in another movie? Yes. <laughs> What's your dream car? If you could have any car, what would you uh, love to have? Uh, Aston Martin DB11. Oh. What's the best round of golf you've ever shot? 78 in Michigan. Never broken lower than that. Okay. Uh, uh, what do you, have you ever been to Glasgow, Kentucky? I don't think so. All right. What do you call a citizen of Glasgow, Scotland? A Glaswegian. What do you call a citizen of Glasgow, Kentucky? I don't know. Blessed. <laughs> And we have been blessed to have you. Thank you. I just want to say thank you thank for being you. on Pastor Well. It's a joy to have you. As you know. Hey, thanks. Thanks to all of you for being with us tonight for this live Pastor Well podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that uh, if you've not yet subscribed, you'll do so on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I look forward to seeing you next time. Hopefully, my voice will be back on Pastor Well. <laughs>